Welcome to the Lagan Valley Vineyard Podcast. We are a community passionate about seeing the Lagan Valley area filled with the presence and the teachings of Jesus. If you would like to connect with us or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website, laganvalleyvineyard.com. Today's scripture reading is from Galatians 6, uh, verses 1 to 10. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something, they are not. They deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone, without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please the flesh, from the flesh they will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit, from the spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Is Laura? I am a part of the team here at Lang Valley Vineyard, um, and I absolutely love that I am. If you are a guest or a visitor with us this morning, we absolutely love that you are here. Um, if you are new to us and this is a completely new environment, please be at ease. We're going to be spending some time just going through the passage of scripture that we what that we read earlier on in worship. And we, I am so excited. Chris said that we're excited about everything, but I thoroughly enjoyed writing this talk this week. I'm really looking forward to sharing with you what I believe God is saying to us through through this scripture. And I have deeply enjoyed. Pause for suspense. Uh, meditating on this scripture this week as I've read and taught and enjoyed what the Father was saying to me personally and what I believe he has for us collectively. If you are new or you haven't been here, the last couple of weeks we have been talking through the whole book of um, Galatians. So I'm coming in. We, we are here this week in chapter six and Andy will be finishing up the series next week. So we're kind of coming to the end of this series and the end of this book. So if you are lost in any, maybe some of the references that we say or you're maybe unsure about what we're talking about, you can go and catch up on our website from the podcast over the last couple of weeks and that have been in this series. But just for those of you who don't know me um, or you're new to this environment, my name is Laura and I am married to a wonderful man called Peter. Um, and this sounds really dramatic, but he literally just landed in Palestine. So he is not here this morning, which is kind of unfortunate because I love him whenever he's here. Um, it's kind of sad though, because I think as far as I go for work is like Moira for a tribe. <laughs> Maybe sometimes whenever I'm going down to Dungannon Vineyard, it's like a big day out. <laughs> but his work is much fancier than mine and it brings him to much more exotic places. Um, but we love Lisburn and we love that we're here. He's actually missing out, isn't he? He is missing out. <laughs> but yes, as I've said, my role here is a connections pastor. And the reason why I'm telling you what that is is because I feel like this scripture really reflects what my passion and my love is for this community. My role here is to help create spaces that are welcoming, inviting, and spirit-filled that help us not only connect to Jesus, but to connect to each other. I do this as my job, but it was not my idea. It wasn't even our leadership team's idea, although we all participate in it. This was actually God's idea. That whenever you read the scriptures, one of the things that God is very passionate about is people. It's his people, his children, that we would not only learn to live in the way of him, but that we would do that together as a community. That as we help people of faith and none explore what it means to be loved by a community of people. And this scripture, which I have really, really loved reading, emulates this beautifully as Paul notices how incredibly powerful the church can be for us and our cities, both in our devotion to Jesus and our devotion to each other. And what does it mean for us to make more room for each other in our lives and so that this church may grow, that other people may experience this? So what does it look like to be a growing church that is deeply connected to Jesus and deeply connected to one another? 
we have been journeying through this and sometimes we ask ourselves that, that question like, but how do you actually do that? What is so good about this scripture is that it literally walks through how you do that. These are instructions that he has sent. This is how you would do that. How does, what does it look like and how do I grow more in my faith with Jesus? How do I grow in connection with other people? And this kind of growth requires the entire community to make space and room for people and for more of Jesus. If we desire to be a church that has room for every person, then we all must be a part of that invitation that we all collectively as Lagan Valley Vineyard and churches all across Lisbon and Northern Ireland are collectively a part of that invitation. And as I said, today we are looking at Paul's letter to the Galatians where he urges them to look at the church and to make room for him, or not him, to Jesus. <laughs> make room for Jesus and to make room for each other. If you would like to open um, the Bible, the Bible's up with me. If you do have a Bible with you, we again, we are reading from Galatians 6, verse 1 to 10. If you have um, a church Bible in front of you, the page number is 809. While you're looking that up, I, I just absolutely love what, what he was saying in this scripture, that community and the riches of what he has in this scripture are just, it's just so, so good as we look at how he instructs us to do things. And that's what we're going to do this morning. We're literally just going to go through that a couple of verses at a time. He talks not only about our personal responsibility for our own life and faith, but he also in the same breath teaches them about accountability in community. Community and life with one another, again, as I said, is a foundational principle of scripture. We are created to be connected to one another. And I really, really believe that. Like that is just something that I, at my core, that is one of my deepest values is people and how we learn to connect with one another. In a world where loneliness, depression and isolation and displacement of people are at an all time high, creating a community that is welcoming to everyone, that not just on a surface level, not just as we serve a cup of tea and coffee, not as we open our doors or we create environments for people to, people to connect to, but a kind of welcome that sees another person deeply and says, who you are, your story and your life and everything that you are, I care about that deeply. That kind of welcome, a welcome that actually draws you in to community. And that's what he is saying, that God has given us that. That if, if it is, that if we do live in a world where isolation and all of those things are at an all-time high, that one of the most countercultural things that we will do with our time is that we will go against that and we will create a community that is profoundly welcoming. And it sounds nice, and whenever we say that, we're like, yeah, that's so right, I really believe that. But it's really difficult to do that, to live that out in your everyday life. And this is what this scripture calls us to. That as we go through this, about what he was saying, about how we personally connect to each other and personally connect to Jesus, and how he believes that that will not only transform us, but transform, continue to transform the church. So if you want to read with me um, in Galatians 1 to 6, or 1 to, where am I going? <laughs> yes, I'm reading 1 to 2 first. It says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. At this point here, as I've said, Paul is coming to the end of his letter to the Galatians. So he's kind of, he's talked about the kind of like hardiness that he really, really wants in the middle of his letter. And that's kind of what you do in a letter. And then he gets to the end and he's kind of coming to the final last instructions. So this is him going in for the last paragraph, his conclusion, his last thoughts that he wants to, to leave with them. As we go through this, I'm just going to kind of jump from verses to verses, but we'll follow along in that together. And there'll be some things that are on the screen that'll hopefully kind of keep us going together. But firstly, I love how he addresses them in this, in this final section. I, and I love whenever it refers in the Bible, when it starts by saying brothers and sisters. And I, the reason why I love it so much is that he finds that what he is about to say is like, I want you to know that I think of you as my family. You are my family and I will address you as that because I believe in my heart that what I'm about to say, I am saying to you in love that when a family member comes and says something to us, we believe that they will say it in love. 
And that's what he's saying here. So he opens up, but he doesn't want them to think that he's cold or distant, but that he infers a place of relationship that he has with them. You, my brothers and sisters. It's impossible to think that we will not live into some kind of bad habit or sin or dysfunction. And the reason why I put those two words as well as sin in is that sometimes it's a good way to look at our sin as maybe the dysfunction that we have in our lives that maybe can sometimes lead us to that place. And if you are new this morning and the word sin is a completely new word for you, and sometimes that just means some of the things that we live into in our life that are not what Jesus said for us to do, then we intentionally go the opposite direction to maybe do something. That dysfunction that we carry with who we are and we will all do it today in fact we probably will do it today we'll maybe not intentionally do it but in some kind of way we will and what Paul is saying here is that I'm not inviting you to sin together as a community I'm actually inviting you to a place out of sin together and I love how it says that you should restore that person gently and this word gently has provided so much insight as how he starts this passage because whenever you say to do something gently, it, it kind of means do something with kindness. Go in kindness. If you want to restore a person, you need to remember that that might take time. He doesn't say, if you see a person who's caught in sin, catch them after the service and do it really quickly. Be like, here, I notice you're sinning loads at the minute, just letting you know that. Um, I'm gonna have my lunch here, see you later. He does not say that. He does not say go quickly. He says go gently because he wants you to know that this kind of conversation is a difficult one. It's a hard one, but it, it requires a lot of love and it will require a lot of time. It will not only take time, but I want you to think in your approach how you will do this. Think about whenever someone says to you, here, Laura, would you mind going and speaking to such and such? And can I just ask you, would you just go gently? That other person knows something and Paul knows the way that the church are here and he says, see if you're doing that, can you go with ease? Can you go with grace? Can you go with kindness? Can you go gently? He doesn't say rush in. He doesn't say point it out and leave them to work it out on their own. In fact, he says the entire opposite. In one commentary, that is truly it, that, that sentence there where it says to go to restore that person gently, the way it's translated is go in the spirit of humility. That changes if that whole that whole word there. Go in the spirit of humility. Don't go with pride. Don't go with like being puffed up, like, oh, that didn't happen to me. I'm not sinning in that way. I'm just gonna let them know that they are just letting you know that you are. He doesn't say that. He says, in the spirit of your own humility, go and walk with that person. And it actually addresses that. He said, you who are spiritual, that, that is who should go. Those of you who are spiritual, and we all get that same opportunity to be that. Just in verse five, or in chapter five, just before, it says, that you will know a spiritual person by these characteristics. You will know them by their love, by their joy, by their peace, by their patience, their kindness, their goodness, their faithfulness, their gentleness, and their self-control. That you will know a person who's approaching you in this way by the spiritual fruit that is in their life. And it's really important to note that if you are going to speak to someone about this, in which we will, it's maybe important for you to know what kind of spirit that you're going out of yourself. Are you going to kind of say, look, I noticed this? Or are you actually going gently? Do you need to remind yourself of those spiritual disciplines, of the fruit in which he has called us to live by? You who are spiritual, before you go, check yourself. Check if you're going in gentleness. Check if you're going in humility. Are you going with love? Are you going with peace? Are you going with all of those characteristics? This is not a point and blame game. This is a process of restoration and peace. And that takes time and it takes mess. If you're not willing to go and sit with that person and carry that burden with them, don't go. If you are not willing to walk that road with them, I would encourage you not to go until you feel ready that you're saying, I wanna walk this road with you. See what you find really difficult? I wanna know it, that I may carry it with you. 
Not just fob it off and say, just so that, that's that done, great, now I can move on. Jesus pointed it out to me, I'm just going to let you, you can go home and you can meditate that on that yourself. He doesn't say that. He says, walk with that person, carry that load with them. You might be going to someone and saying, hey, Laura, is everything okay at the minute? I've noticed that you maybe aren't yourself. I've noticed that you're distant or you're snappy or you're upset. I've noticed that actually in, instead of addressing things, you're maybe drinking a wee bit more. I've noticed that you're crying a lot more. I've noticed that you're more low than normal. I'd just like to point out that you'll not say all of those things to one person. You might actually ruin someone's life there. So... <laughs> They're just examples of something that you might go and approach and say, you know, it's not as if like Paul is saying, point out their sin. It's not like, let's think of all of like the traditional words for sin and go and point them out with someone. He's not saying that. He's saying that you might need to walk through a process with a person that is causing them angst and difficulty and pain, and you might need to walk that with them. These are not easy conversations. They are hard and they are probably more than likely going to take more than one sitting, more than one coffee, more than one meal. They might be restored over years of friendship, but you will learn that dysfunction or pain or sin is not just born out of nowhere. That everyone carries a story. Everyone carries pain. And the kind thing to do, the gentle thing to do in that approach is to walk that with them. Jesus can and will carry your burdens, absolutely. I believe that wholeheartedly. He will carry them and he will say, I will take all that you have and I will lay it on myself. And he has already done that for us. But he also gave us this heavenly gift of each other. That is what he said, that you will actually be with each other. I will be with you, but you have each other. And that one another, that kind of space of community is a gift that has to be put at the level of what it needs to be. It has to be raised in a higher level for us to be able to kind of live into that together. Whenever I was going through this this morning, um, there was, this is just a side note, that whenever you are the person receiving this kind of conversation, I just want to point out that there is no shame in that. There is no shame to be found in your dysfunction. It might be difficult, and it might be that. And I know, like, for me personally, sometimes I want to, to move away from that thing because it makes, I, I'm already, like, whenever someone comes to me, to be honest, I'm like, to be honest, I already know. I've already weighed that decision, and I already feel kind of rubbish about it. I don't need you to come and tell me. I already know. See, that place, that is, that is some kind of shame that we just need to rid ourselves of. You're not a bad person. You're not in any way less of a person if someone is having this conversation with you. And what God is saying there, and what he's trying to just say to us is, I love you so deeply. I don't want you to live into that shame. I want you to live in your freedom. So I'm gonna give somebody else to walk that road with you. A couple, couple of weeks ago, um, well, a couple of months ago now, actually, Pete and I were driving home from somewhere, and I, I have no idea why I brought this conversation up, but I was like, Pete, is there anything that since you got married that you were like, I didn't realize that Laura would do that, and it's kind of annoying? <laughs> I don't know why I opened the conversation. It is a dangerous conversation, but, but equally, Pete is so kind. He was like, Laura, there is nothing you that you do that annoys me. And I was like, that is such a big fat lie. Like... <laughs> <laughs> there are plenty of things that I do that annoy people. And he was like, well, maybe there's one thing that you do. You kind of like, you just, like, I am pretty bad for this, to be fair. Like, you just kind of leave stuff lying. Like, you'll like use something, which is funny because I would say that about my brother. And I'd be like, oh, that's so annoying the way he does that. And then Pete's like, you do that. You actually do that. And uh, he was saying that one of the things that really annoys him, he was like, for some reason, you always leave the milk out of the fridge whenever you use it. And I was like, Pete, I know that I don't do that. And I have no idea why, but I was so defensive about the milk. I was like, Pete, I would never do that. And the reason why I know that I would never do that is because at my mum and dad's house, they have an agate in their kitchen and it makes it really, really warm all the time. And it was always such a big deal when you left the milk out because it went off. I would never do that. Ugh, I rebuke that. I would never do that. 
And uh, later on that day, it might have been like later on that day or the next day, I can't remember, Pete had gone out for something and I decided to have a bowl of cereal. <laughs> and uh, I was sitting, finishing off my bowl of cereal and I could hear his wee keys in the door and I was like, oh no. And I looked up and I had left two cartons of milk out. I was like, what is wrong with me? He was so right about that was <laughs> about leaving the milk out. And I know that seems really trivial. And to be honest, I'm obviously not going to tell you the other things that he brought up in that conversation. <laughs> So I'm Laura, and here is all of my dysfunction. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. But we all have it. We all carry it. We all do things that actually somebody else needs to point out. Just so, even if it is so Pete can have like a glass of milk that isn't off, you know, like he needed to point that out so he too can enjoy the flavor of milk. But I have had conversations like this that are more challenging than leaving the milk out. And people who do this, do this because they love you. They do this because they, not, they don't just want to be destructive. They don't want to just leave you in a wake of your own dysfunction. And I know this personally, is that they don't. But in many ways, these people are the people that you need to trust, that you need to lean on, that you need to, in that moment, instead of staying in our dysfunction and in the tension of, I can't believe you just said that to me. How dare you? You know what I'm going through but generously assume that that person loves you so deeply that they're like, I actually don't want you to live in that. It pains me that you live in that actually. That watching your life and watching the way that you respond, watching the way that you feel so downheartened by the job you didn't get, that it's made you be angry at the people in your work, that makes me sad because I know that isn't who you are. I know that that is not who you are. You should generous, generously assume that person's love for you in that moment. They are your biggest advocates. And that is why it is so important that you go in the right spirit, in the right frame of mind, at the right time. Carry this process of restoration alongside each other. You are not simply there to point out sin, but you are there to walk with each other to a place of health to process the place of burden of what they carry and actually help them come into living and occupying the freedom that God has for them and for you. And this will take time. There's a quote from John Vanier who says, perhaps the most essential quality for anyone who lives in community is patience, a recognition that we, others, and the whole community take time to grow. Nothing is achieved in a day. And if we are to live in a community, we have to be friends of time. Being with people requires time. And it, this also would mean that we need to learn to cherish our time. That the time that I'm giving you is so cherished, I want you to have it. And we all feel that, you know, like life is busy. Like, and we talk about this all the time, but we are just in this, in a culture where busyness is just, it is there all the time. You're busy every day, you're busy in work, you're busy with friends, you're busy with family. We are consumed by our busyness. But in order in some ways to push past that, learning to cherish the time that you have with people is probably then so much more important than what it ever was. We are called to live into community together and be accountable to that with one another. And moving on to verse four and five, it said, each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else for each one should carry their own load. Learning to take personal responsibility. Initially, whenever I read this, I thought it sounded a bit harsh and I kind of thought it contradicted each other because in one breath, Paul is saying, be the community for each other, be there for one another. Whatever you're going through, go and share it with someone. Whatever somebody else is going, go and you share it with them. And it's all about sharing and community. And then like, not only a verse later is he saying, actually, you should test your own actions. You should take responsibility for yourself and that you should do that on your own. And it almost feels contradictory. But what is really interesting is that whenever I reflected on it, it was just the total opposite. You can love someone deeply and really care about them, and you can completely forget about your devotion to Jesus. 
God, I am so busy in community. I, I just, I find all of my time, I connect with other people through connecting, or I connect you by connecting with other people. So thank you for giving me the gift of people. I don't have to spend any personal time with you. That is not what he is saying. These two acts, the acts of community and being accountable to one another, and the act of our devotion and personal responsibility to Jesus are the most beautifully married, um, just, things, I can't think of the word there, but they marry together very, very beautifully. And what he is saying is that we need both. In order to have a thriving community, we need both. You can be the most compassionate and the most generous person in the room and have no relationship with Jesus. It's very, very easy to live in that place. To think of all of the religious things that we need to tick. I do this and I do that, and therefore that means I have a personal relationship with Jesus. And we can get caught into that very easily. This has been a hard lesson learned for me over the last 10 years in ministry. And um, Before that, I didn't find it that hard, but being in, in, in some kind of sphere of working in ministry, this has been a lesson that I have learned. Um, that my, the responsibility for my faith is not for our senior, senior leadership team. And they guide us and they teach us and we are in some way accountable to their leadership. But the responsibility for my life being rooted firmly in the life of Jesus, in the presence of him, is mine. It is mine and it is yours. And that seems maybe a wee bit harsh, but sometimes Paul is harsh. <laughs> and sometimes it is just the way that it is, that if you want to have that thriving life, then you need to be able to make time for that. And don't get me wrong, these people build me up, they encourage me, they challenge me, they help me whenever I make a bad decision, they love me and they're there for me, but my life is rooted firmly in Jesus is my own. Your fruit of your life, the character and the integrity that you have is born between you and Jesus. It is in these places where God develops you. In Matthew 6, verse 6, it says, but when you pray, go to, into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And I just love this verse. Like it is so short, but it is so great. Go to your room, close the door, be alone. And that secret relationship that you have with him, it's just, it is the most important, the most important. He guides us to say, actually what you do in secret is so essential for your soul. A personal space in your life that is occupied just by you and Jesus. It's in these places that I find are my richest time in my spiritual life. I'm not comparing my response with anyone to my right or to my left, but I am just simply there with him, his, and he is mine in that moment. And that is where you will find your personal responsibility to him needs to be. I would encourage you, if you find it really hard to create a kind of inner room, as it says in Matthew, for you, for just for you and Jesus, to ask someone who you know that does it really well, just ask them questions. I find that that is sometimes the easiest thing. We kind of put ourselves through so much torment. I have no idea how to do this. And then you live in that place for such a long time. Instead of just going and saying to someone, I actually find that really difficult. And I feel kind of weary in my faith. And I'm not finding that place easy, if I'm honest. Is there anything that you can say or that we can do that can help me get to that place? Can you pray for me? Can I ask you questions of how you do that? And if you want an intimate relationship with Jesus, there are these moments that are cultivated. They are shaped into your routine. And whenever you begin to build them into your routine, actually you will probably find that Jesus will interrupt you on more of a daily basis because you're learning what he sounds like. You're learning his voice. You're learning to live into the way of him that whenever an opportunity arises, you're actually so deeply rooted and firm in him that you know exactly what he is saying to you in that moment. You do not wanna digress from that. You're actually just hungry for it because you have been spending time with him. And I love the way then Paul goes on from that moment. He says, you know, take time with me. Don't compare yourself to others. And then literally in the next verse, he says about revelation. He says, nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. I just absolutely love this verse. I don't know why. I just thought it was so good. It really encouraged me. Sometimes when you can read the Bible, you're like, oh, I don't do that. 
<laughs> you know, but like, actually, this is just a really good thing when he says, share what you find that is good. What is good? There's like a part of our Northern Irishness that wants to be like, I did something really good this week, but I'm not going to tell anyone because I'm humble. I'm not going to do that. I am not going to share what God encouraged me with because I am a humble person. That is not humility. That is not. I can't give you a good explanation of humility. Andy probably could have been better, but we're not going to get into that today. But that is not what he is saying. He is saying, if you have, if God reveals something to you, either a word or a picture or a verse or scripture or just an encouraging word, go and share it. Share it and encourage the people around you. I read this today and I just, it just filled my soul with goodness. Or I just love what it said. Can I share it with you? Also as well, if you are doing things in your life that you just find that Jesus is like breaking into your life and you're having God moments all the time, you're praying with people, you're saying breakthrough and stuff, please come and tell us. Please come and tell us because something happens in the culture of a place when we begin to share these stories because then what has been made available to you in that moment, somebody else has stared up and they're like, I, I love that you just told me that. That makes me want to go and do that. It was this week, um, you just, when you're getting into your day and you're kind of coming into the office and you're opening up your emails and there's no part of you that is like, yes, I'm so excited to open my emails. Woo, what a great day. No one's like that at nine o'clock. Like I'm a morning person and not even I'm like that. So I was starting my day and that was fine. And I was just kind of going through all the things that I needed to do. And a vet sent me this email about someone in our community who is just doing the most beautiful thing around Christmas time. I'm not gonna share it, but it just filled my day with joy. It changed my whole outlook on the day. See, if you get a good thing, just share it. It does something wonderful in our community and in our culture when we share the good things, not just our burdens, but the good things. Sometimes you want to lean into saying like, oh, Jesus will show us all the bad things and then I'll tell someone. Like that is true too. But Jesus also wants us to share in all of the good stuff that he's doing. I did something good. Go and share it. Have joy in that. Commentary say that this is particularly for people to share with their pastors about encouragement and about what they're doing, to go and share with your instructor. And that is good. And I would encourage you to do that anyway. But God reveals himself to absolutely everyone, not just pastors. He is a God of revelation and he wants to open your life up to what he is doing. And I believe that he has that for you. Share good things whenever they are revealed to you. Then moving on to seven and eight, he says, do not be conceived, God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. Our harvest reveals what we have sowed. Whenever I was like 12 or 13, I can't remember what age it was, but my dad wanted to give, I have three older brothers, and my dad wanted to give the four of us a summer job and so that we could like earn our money and learn the gift of hard work, I don't know. And um, he said, out the back we have like, we don't have a garden, we just have this massive field. And I grew up on a farm. And he said, I'm gonna give you this field, the four of you, I'm gonna give you the field for the summer and I'm gonna help you plant potatoes and then you're going to pick the potato or you're gonna look after the potatoes, pick the potatoes and then you can sell them. And I was like, great, sounds wonderful. And uh, so we, dad helped us prepare the ground and we planted the seeds and then we watched them grow. And then eventually whenever they were grown, uh, what we had to do every day of the summer is that we had to go and pick the potatoes every morning and bag them. And then we would make a wee sign that said British Queens for sale. We were 100% that family. You know, whenever you drive down a country road, and you're like, oh, that's so nice. They have potatoes for sale. That was us. Me and my brothers trying to make a wee bit of money. And I'm fairly sure, like maybe like a couple of days in, I just lost total interest of getting up early and picking potatoes. Like it was out the window. I was like, no way, this is my summer. And um it wasn't really until the end of the summer whenever the big tin of money came out, my interest picked back up again. And I was like, oh, there it is. There's all our money, my keep that I made this summer. And uh, I, dad opened the box and he split it. I thought what he, what, he, what he was gonna do was that he was just gonna split it evenly between four. He did not. I did not get the quarter of the money. <laughs> and I was devastated. I thought dad would pull a rank and be like, oh, my only little girl. I will give you the extra money. He was like, no way, you did not work hard. And I was like, oh, that's so awful. <laughs> the next summer I went to work with my mum and uh, she gave me all I went. No, I took it, she didn't. <laughs> I got a different job and uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it much more. 
You see, the boys cared and tended to the crop. They were in it for the long haul and their return was good pay. And I planted laziness, if I'm honest. I just would, could not be bothered. And I did not get much in return for my laziness. There is a discipline in how we sow and what we sow. You cannot cheat in a harvest. You just can't, which would mean that you cannot cheat in what you sow. And this passage of scripture really struck with me this week about how we move from thoughtless sowing to thoughtful sowing. It was David Foster Wallace who said, everybody worships. The only choice that you get is what you decide you want to worship. And whenever I read this, this is what came into my head. And this principle is the same principle that we need to apply here. You're all sowing. We are all sowing seeds into our life. And the only thing that we get to determine is what those seeds are. Because they have to have, like if you want a harvest in something, your seeds in your life and what you're sowing have to correspond to it. You cannot expect to reap a harvest if you do none of the work. You just won't, it just won't be there. It's just the law of nature. It just will not happen. If a farmer wants a good crop, he doesn't just hope that the land will prepare itself. He doesn't just hope that it'll attend to them, that they'll just grow on their own and that'll be fine and then he can go and pick them and do whatever. He doesn't, he has to do groundwork. He can't even as well just throw the seeds on the ground. He actually has to uproot the ground. He has to uproot what we're doing. So if you feel like you're being uprooted in this season in life, that's a good thing. God is saying, I want to change the whole inner working of your soul that I might plant something so rich in you that the harvest would be great. That is a good thing. That is a really good thing. It takes attention. It takes pruning and care to produce a harvest. And sowing good seeds aren't just for certain followers of Jesus. They're not just for tribe leaders or worship leaders. They're not just for leaders in general. They are for everyone. If you are a follower of Jesus, then you need to participate in what you're sowing into the kingdom and into your life. And this week, I I just felt like Jesus was asking me, Laura, what are you thoughtlessly sowing into your life? You know how you know that? You start to pay attention to what your everyday life is. If you want to be a generous person, Andy says this all the time, if you want to know if you're a generous person, look at your bank statement. If you want to know what you're not giving attention to, look at your everyday life. Don't look back on your year and think, here's all what I did in a year and they were all really good things and really proud of myself. Look at the way you live your everyday life. Look at the kind of mood that you have in your everyday. Look at your response to people in your everyday life. What are those responses? What does that look like? How you get up, how you create routines, how you spend time with Jesus, how you're inviting community, how you are planting good seeds. You will begin to see what needs to get your attention whenever you give your attention to your daily life. To know what you shouldn't be sowing, you need to pay attention. This is a totally random thought, but it came into my head. (laughs) Whenever the radiation exploded happened in Chernobyl, I can guarantee you not one of you knew that that was going to come out of my mouth. There, we were talking about something completely different. But whenever the radiation exploded or explosion happened in Chernobyl, everybody had to leave. But one of the things that they noticed was that plants still grew, that trees still grew, that there was still actually flourishing life. And one of the things that is really important to point out is that everything that is there is highly poisonous and dangerous. And if you consume it, it will not, there'll not be a good result. (laughs) You can still have growth in your life but the fruit that you're producing might be dangerous or poisonous or might be not good fruit at all. So you can, have, you can be sowing seeds and you can be doing stuff and they are just not, it's just not good fruit. How many of us are sowing seeds of mistrust or envy or gossip or addiction or apathy or comparison without even realizing that we are doing it? Like whenever we spend time on Instagram, like you spend an hour on Instagram just comparing what you have or what you don't have to what somebody else has, the way that they look, the way that they dress, what they have, what they do, my goodness. Like you are spending an hour of your life every day in the world of comparison. That is what we are doing. 
And if you're the kind of person that can be on that and do not do that, then you're not. <laughs> There'll be other things that we are sowing. But in order to know what you want to change, you must be willing to take personal responsibility to do the deep work with Jesus, to open your heart to community for accountability and be honest before yourself and before God. If you're sowing forgiveness in your life, you will most likely reap peace you will find peace very easily. That does not mean to say all your relationships and all your life will be peaceful, but that you actually find it very easy to be in a place of peace. If you're sowing a life of intercession, you will find it easy to release people in your prayers. You will see things that nobody else sees. If you want to see a harvest of people coming to know Jesus, what seeds are you sowing in your life that that might happen, that that might be the fruit of your harvest? If you want a harvest of self-control, what seeds are you sowing in your life on a daily basis that you might be able to do that? If you want to see people set free from addiction, what seeds are you actively sowing in your life to invite people to a place of restoration and being set free from that addiction? If you want a harvest of an open heart and an open mind and faithfulness, but you sow seeds of apathy and cynicism, you are not gonna get a correspond, you're gonna correspond that harvest, that you will get apathy and cynicism in your spiritual life. What harvest do you desire? And what seeds do you need to start sowing into your life to make this happen? You may not see a harvest for a long time, and I think that's one of the reasons why he puts it into this, or Paul puts it into the spiritual like, characteristics that you need to have faithfulness. As a staff team, we are reading a book by Mark Sayers, and a couple of weeks ago, one of the things that just really drew to my attention, I can't remember what he was saying, but was the idea that maybe someone in Lisbon, like 50 to 100 years ago, prayed for this community that the fruit of their life would be that the next generation would know Jesus personally and deeply. That is the fruit of their prayers. And they interceded for that. They longed for that. They brought Jesus to every place that they could. And we live into the harvest of their prayers. Our faithfulness needs to come with a sense of resilience in that as well. Then on to verse nine and 10, it says, let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. I love how this is written in light that we always have the opportunity. It doesn't say when you have the opportunity, it says as you have the opportunity. The opportunity to do good. Do good whenever you can. And I love the order in which Paul writes all of these verses. And to be honest, you could spend a whole sermon in just one of these verses or just in one line of this. It is so, so rich for the instruction of what does it look like. Paul is urging people to find, to not only get freedom for the first time, whenever you invite Jesus into your heart, but he is saying, what does it look like to occupy the space of your freedom this is how you could attempt that. Spend time in community. Spend time with me. Let me reveal my goodness through the word. Carry each other's burdens. And if you're weary, let me refresh your heart. And whenever you can, do good. He says, be devoted to Jesus. Be devoted to one another. Be devoted to your scripture. And you will reap a harvest if you do that. What stops you from doing good? Like, and sometimes it is just maybe you don't have time or you don't want to, you're like, if I'm honest, I'm just in a bad mood, can't be bothered. Like honestly, the things that get in the way of us from doing good are really just things within ourselves that we need to be constantly checking. And a few years ago, we were at a leadership day and I am, um, I can't remember word for word what um, was said, but it was something to the effect of, to make our, we want to make our community so compelling that it should feel impossible not to show up. That's not lights, it's not heating, it's not worship, it's not that. 
It is the sense of what Jesus is doing, that it should be so compelling, that we are so enamored by his love, what he gave us, his glory, that it causes us to love one another so deeply and so richly, that someone who doesn't know Jesus or doesn't know this community comes in and says, I want to be here because you love each other so deeply. It compels me to want to ask why. Why? Why do you do that? Because I have met and know the person that is Jesus and it changes everything. And you know what? Some days I find it really difficult. Some days I feel more tired or weary than others, but it changes everything. Responsibility doesn't always mean that it's heavy. We're not like, oh my goodness, we need to get people in here. If they don't come in here, we're not really functioning as a church. Don't, that's not, don't, it, responsibility is not panic or heaviness. It's just a sense of, feel that, feel that. That's what I want. And I want your community to have this. His love draws people in. But we are the community that might sustain and help them walk to a place of freedom. That is not that we can give them what Jesus gives them, it's not, but he calls us to be the gift of humanity and friendship to each other. We're coming in to close now if the band wanna come on up. Finally, he says, don't tire of doing good. And one of the things that I just felt was really important in this is that there are times in life whenever we feel really tired. And this morning, I don't want you to feel condemned or judged or convicted that you're maybe not doing these things because it's perfectly okay for you to say, I really want that harvest, but I feel kind of weary in my soul. If I'm being really honest, that like I know that we should desire that and I know that I should be devoted to that, but there's something that stops me in that. And I just, I want to be out of that place. We would love to pray for you this morning. We would love to be able to do that. And as I said, this passage is so rich. He addresses loving each other. He addresses personal responsibility and devotion to Jesus, revelation, comparison. He addresses how we should sow good things into your life. If you are wondering, what does it look like for me to occupy the place of my freedom? I would encourage you just to go home and read this scripture. Read it every single day this week. See what God reveals to you. See what he calls you to. I see the way that you're living and I want you to live differently. It will change everything for you. At the end, he says that this is for the family of believers. And in one way, we are extremely passionate about the mission of Jesus in our city, in our everyday life. And that is a high priority for us, as it should be that the mission of Jesus should be in every single area of our life. But we are also passionate about what does it look like to love one another. It is pointless for us to be on mission and to not live like this for each other. He doesn't want one or the other. He says, let's learn to live in a healthy mix of both. Let's learn to have the balance of mission and love for one another. And we really feel like as a church that God is calling us into that place to understand how we do that better. If you are new to us, you'll know that at the start of this year, we launched something called Pathways. And Pathways is that, how do we learn to be on mission and to care about the things of Jesus, what he's doing in our city, but also what does it look like for me to care for the person who sits beside me in church on a Sunday morning? What does it look like for me to devote my life to this community also? If you are able, can I ask you to stand? We do a response at the end of most services just as we think it is really important to give people space to respond to what Jesus is doing in your life, to receive prayer, to encourage you with prayer, and to also just stand with you as a community of people. In some ways, the response of this to sowing good seeds and spending time with Jesus really needs to be put into your everyday life. We're gonna spend some time this morning just praying for one another and being there for one another. If you are um, a tribe leader, if you have done Compass before, um, or you have done our prayer ministry training, can I ask you to come up to the front, just to make your way up to the front now? Thank you.
one of the things that I would love to pray for this morning, and, and um, whenever I read this the first time, my I just I felt it so strong in my heart is if you are reading this or listening to this and you think that your harvest is grief, if you have gone through a period in your life where you're like, I have been incredibly ill, I have experienced an incredible amount of grief through death or illness in my life and I just feel like my harvest is pain. We would love to pray for you this morning because I think God wants to say something about that. I think he wants to maybe rework that within you and to find a community of people who will say, it pains me that you think that that is what God had designed for you. That is not only what he has for you. He has good, good things. So if you're in a period of life where you just feel like your harvest is pain, it's just pain all the time, like, and you just want to rework that, and you're weary of it, you're tired of it, we would love to pray for you this morning. What is your harvest? What would you love to see happen? Would you love to see more people in your life come to know Jesus? Would you love to see people healed more? Would you love to be able to pray for people more? And the reason why I'm saying all these things is that we should all be responding. What do you want your harvest to be? What, you de- what do you desire to sow into your life? We wanna spend time praying for you this morning. So can I encourage you just now, if you want to sow good seeds in your life, can you come up to the front and just say to this person, I wanna learn how to sow the seed of prayer in my life because I want to be able to inter- intercede for people. Would you please help me sow the seed in my life for evangelism? Because I wanna see more people come to know Jesus. I wanna see people healed in my life. If you wanna sow the seed of healing and learn to know what that is, I would encourage you to go to Valerie or William Shannon because they are leading the most incredible thing in our hot same around healing. So as we respond this morning, can I encourage you to come up and say, can you pray for me for this? To take responsibility for what you want. So Heavenly Father, we invite you into this place. Father, we invite you into every season that we are in. And Father, we just say to the place in us that feels weary, would you come and would you refresh us? And as we spend time worshiping, would you just reset and refresh something new within us? Would you give us passion and fire to want to see this community grow and thrive? Would you give us that passion? Would our response be that? Would it be passion, Father? compel us this morning to be hungry for your revelation to be hungry to see this community connected and whole as a family father that we would be hungry to invite people in to this space father would you give us the courage and the bravery to sow good seeds this week and this month that we Father, would you give us the courage and the bravery just to look at our dysfunction in the face and say, you are not welcome here and I want to know healing and restoration in my life. I desire that for myself. So Father, give us bravery, give us courage. Give us all that we need. And we praise you and thank you for who you are and that you love us so deeply and so profoundly. We pray these things in your name.